Discover FX's Shogun, the official podcast available now. Every legend begins with a story. Listen and explore episode by episode the story of war, passion, and power set in feudal Japan. Join host Emily Yoshida each week with the creators, cast, and crew in this exclusive companion podcast. They dive deep into the twists and turns of the plot, go behind the scenes, and explore the real-life history that informed the limited series based on James Clavell's best-selling novel. Search FX's Shogun wherever you listen to podcasts. Tax season is approaching, bringing potential extra cash your way. Rather than spending it all on an expensive deal filled with yada yada from your current wireless plan, consider switching to Metro by T-Mobile for no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada you don't take yada yada in life don't take yada yada from your wireless provider metro by t-mobile has no contracts no credit checks no surprises and nada yada yada stop by one of over six thousand metro stores nationwide this episode is brought to you by alienware during dell tech fest score game-changing innovations with limited time deals on select next-gen alienware gaming tech new dimensions await with advanced gaming systems like the alienware m18 laptop powered by an intel core i9 processor featuring awe-inspiring visuals liquid cooling three-dimensional audio with dolby atmos and impressive overclocking potential your dream setup amazing prices and free shipping await you for a limited time only at alienware deals. That's alienware.com slash deals. Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zikazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Videos moderated by real people who review content before it's posted to the feed. I love the dance challenges. <laughs> I love that it's KidSafe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids. <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We are joined, as always, with our super producer, all mission control decant. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. Uh, Paul, can we get a sci-fi sound effect? There it is. Perfect. Space, space, space. Oh! I can't breathe out here. Don't scream. scream. No one will be able Uh, to hear you. Uh. So, yeah, space is on everybody's mind nowadays, um, most notably because of the private industry's entrance into the race to the stars. Nowadays, pretty much everyone knows what's on the figurative horizon. We're talking missions to Mars, a return to the moon, and maybe even one day the possibility of permanent human colonies somewhere other than Earth. Before these private sector entities, SpaceX's, the Virgin Galactics, and so on, entered the fray, space exploration was strictly government business because the very few private individuals who could afford something like this would have wasted, like, it would have taken their entire fortune. They didn't have an interest in doing this. And the Bezos and the Musk of the world 
are only able to do what they're doing now because of the research and the innovations uh, by world governments, notably Russia and the U.S., but don't forget India, China, Japan, and so on. I think maybe we should stop for a second before we dive in to talk a little bit about the private piece of this, of space exploration, because these these people are literal billionaires, and they see themselves as heralds of the next great age of exploration. But a lot of folks have a problem with it, you know. And we mentioned this a little bit when we talked in an earlier segment about uh, Jeff Bezos, right, going to space for eleven minutes, I believe, and it's technically space. It's space with an asterisk. It's space. Uh, there are a lot of folks who say, you know, we have we have problems. Uh, why do we need to find? problems in space. We have plenty of problems here on Earth we can fix first. I don't know. What do you guys think about that? I'll give you my take on it. When it comes to the privatization of space and exploration, I think a lot of the problem is that there's a direct profit motive and there has to be a profit motive in order for any of those very wealthy people to even begin to be interested in it. Even though there's that statement by John F. Kennedy, you know, we're doing these things because we can. It's uh, space is seen as this uh, place of scientific discovery and discovery about humanity and intelligence. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Exactly. So we've got these ideals that are deep seated, I would say, in especially the American psyche, but largely in, you know, everyone, the planet over. But then you imagine just turning, turning all of that into a way to make money feels icky, I think. But what we forget sometimes is that the the initial space exploration uh, missions and uh, reasonings to read the reasoning to be up there was not exactly for, you know, scientific discovery. What? There there were ulterior ulterior no. motives there, right? At all times. Well, like space dominance, like like yeah. But they exist concurrently. They're not they may seem contradictory. Well, figure out how this occurs, but uh, the, yeah, I think you're right. It's, it's a noble argument to say we spend billions and billions and billions of dollars just to learn more about the universe, uh, but it's a somewhat misleading argument, or at the very least, it's skewed by propaganda. It's but it's also, uh, it was always kind of propaganda though, right? I mean, the whole boldly go is in, in and of itself propaganda. Uh, it's sort of a flag waving kind of like, you know, rah, rah kind of mentality. And it's also like, I mean, the space race, you know, we weren't just competing with other countries for our health. I mean, we're literally trying to plant a flag so we can be the first to kind of quote unquote own space, even though, I mean, I know we've talked about this in the past. You can't really own space. It sort of belongs to, you know, everyone, but you can sure put a satellite up there, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'll give you one last quick example here. Recently got my hands on one of those Oculus Quest VR things. So cool. And there's something you can access if you have one of those called Spheres. And in this program, you essentially get to exist amongst the stars for a moment and check out the birth of a star system in the universe. And I mean, it's it's wonderful and, and interactive and cool. And it gives you this real sense that the whole point of learning more about this about space is for our you know discovery about ourselves in the universe and to learn who we are and where we come from and why. Right, answering these big questions. 
and it's very inspiring. And I think that exists, as you said, Ben, that reality exists at the same time as all of these other large, whether it's a corporation or a governmental institution seeking to uh, achieve some other goal. Yeah. Yeah. This, this is where we see a lot of conflicting interest and a lot of complementary interest. Strange bedfellows would be a cliche you could apply here. But we also see no shortage of genuine conspiracies. Today's episode, if you haven't read the title, uh, is something like The Dark Side of NASA. This is one dark side of space exploration, to be very clear. And uh, just like the age of mercantilism, right, during uh, European colonization, of the American continents, just like that, uh, we may see a new problem, a new dark side in the near future as private industries become the um, the initial explorers of things. Right? Like, if like it is not it is no longer science fiction to imagine a world in which there is one town on the moon, and it's. Amazon town and everybody who lives there by virtue of living there is somehow an Amazon employee. Like that's not impossible. And we need to, uh, as, as people living today, we need to have lucid conversations about that possibility. But to understand that possibility, we need to also understand thing events of past space exploration have been skewed by propaganda. I'm not saying they're not amazing. They are. They're some of the most important things the human species has ever done. But you might not be getting the whole story in your textbooks. You might not be getting the whole story in a History Channel documentary. And today's episode comes to us courtesy of listener suggestions and questions about the very same thing. Uh, we'd like to give a special shout out to conspiracy realist Wyatt in Missouri, who inspired us to ask, what exactly has NASA been getting up to all this time? And who else is involved? Let's start with NASA. Here are the facts. NASA, or the National Aeronautics and Space Administration, was created in 1958. Uh, it was, from the start, intended to be non-military, uh, staffed by civilians. Uh, very much, you know, kind of, as we've described, meant to be this sort of exploratory, kind of like, you know, pushing the bounds of human ingenuity and capability out into the stars, right? Uh, today, it remains home to some of the most preeminent space exploration programs in the world. Uh, things like Project Mercury, which is the first United States-based program to put humans into space, that made 25 flights, and six of those flights carried astronauts between 1961 and 1963, which I guess you could kind of consider the golden age of space exploration, right? Uh, more than 2 million people from government agencies, the aerospace industry, all kind of chipped in, combined their skills and expertise to make these projects possible. And to date, NASA's successfully launched over 200 crewed flights um, that include several historic trips to the moon, uh, the lunar surface. Oh, yeah. And to date, uh, for anybody, any U.S. resident wants a little dose of patriotism, to date, there have only been 12 human beings to ever officially, provably reach the moon, and they've all been Americans. Let's say this. There were, have been at least 12 people that we are aware of yeah, that have allegedly landed on the lunar surface. Uh, I, uh, I, 
I really like that Stanley Kubrick film uh, about going to the moon. That was some excellent production design. The Shining, <laughs> you mean? No, uh, the, the moon landing. <laughs> to be clear, you know, it's NASA was never the only the only operation in space, right? The Soviet space program got the first living person in space. Uh, also, the space program launched uh, space stations before. NASA got involved with Skylab and then later the ISS, which is a multinational thing. But they still were making big moves. And as the decades added up and the years wound on, NASA and its counterpoints in other countries funneled untold amounts of money, countless years of research and more into this literal final frontier. And Noel, when you were speaking earlier you talked about Project Mercury, how there were more than 2 million people from government agencies and the private aerospace industry. Notice, they say government agencies, plural. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll get to that, but just, just everybody mm-hmm. notice that part. And at the same time that this amazing, astonishing exploration and research is occurring, the world is struggling with its own earthly problems, some of which are existential threats that remain with us today. Disease, the specter of nuclear war, crushing poverty, natural disaster, and NASA's sort of soldiers on surviving these uncertain times. It's portrayed as apolitical. If propagandistic, it is still apolitical in its aims. It's a civilian operation, not a military one. That's something that they emphasize all the time. And it makes new plans while the world spends on. Whatever happened to Space Force? Is that still a thing or did that kind of die with the Trump administration? Yes, it's still on Netflix, I think. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. it's still there. Yeah, Space Force is still there. It's the smallest U.S. armed service. Um, it is considered somewhat controversial due to the United Nations earlier agreements about against the militarization of space. Right. right. Mm-hmm. You don't have God rods falling down into orbit. Do their guns go pew pew? Yes. In space, no <laughs> yes. one can hear you, pew pew. <laughs> there, uh, this, I, yeah. I, ben, I think I, you know, I'm, I may be completely wrong in this and I'm sorry, but maybe perhaps you'll be able to see where I'm coming from after you finish this episode, everyone. But uh, I imagine that some of the stories we're going to be mentioning today directly influenced some of the comedy in uh, the fictional show. Oh, and with absolutely. the same name. Yeah, yeah, I think you're on point there. This is this is interesting because there there is truly inspiring uh, stuff when we look at the the narrative and the story of NASA at a, at even at times when there was incredibly tense rivalry between different geopolitical actors, NASA or civilians working in NASA were were like trying to cooperate. With, the, with their fellow scientists across borders, partnering together to embark on these projects that uh, no, no one space agency could probably do alone, near as well. And the most famous of those is the ISS, International Space Station. As we record today, it's hurtling through space, orbiting about 200 miles above us, and a ton of, a ton of people are involved. And a lot, like many of those people who are involved in that project, their job is just to work around the clock to make sure that people on the ISS are able to live another 24 hours. It's pretty complicated, but it's impressive. It's like one of humanity's biggest flexes, a space station. 
Yes. Uh, you know, we, we don't even have to talk about Mir. Uh, but uh, I'm sorry, bring it back here. Another thing in Quest that I literally just did is you can go inside the ISS and like travel through using the same systems they use and like learn exactly what is inside the ISS and how it functions. It's it's incredible. Do you get to use the restroom? I bet you do. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Okay, well, keep us updated on that one, Matt. Like, uh, I mean, for sure. <laughs> and tell us how that works. And like we said, you know, we are we are a group of people who grew up uh, for at least part of our lives in the U.S. And for us and many people listening today, the story of NASA's birth and its evolution is tremendously, profoundly inspiring. Right now, there are so many people listening who wanted to be astronauts, right, when they were kids. And then there are other people who chose a career, a lifelong STEM career, science, technology, engineering, math, based on their early fascination with NASA, you know, Star Trek, all, all the hits. And just, just really quickly, I mean, like the propagandistic side of that, you know, that I talked about at the top, I don't want to overstate it. I mean, these are all very aspirational American goals that did inspire young minds and get people into STEM, you know, when maybe they wouldn't have otherwise gotten into it. So I don't want to like cheapen the whole thing. Cause I mean, it really is an absolutely massive undertaking and the fact that we've been able to do this stuff. Um, but the kind of propaganda we're going to talk about, I think is a little more insidious than what I mentioned. Uh, Noel, Noel still hasn't been to space camp, and we gotta I remember know, that. I'm we really, gotta remember. Really, it's not as good that. as the movie. It is a it's blast. Too, it's but too late for me. Misleading. Somebody sent me a shirt, but it was way too small. <laughs> I still owe the people from Book It, uh, the the good folks at Book It and NASA at one point both sent me their shirts. That was great. That was amazing. Uh, Book It's a fantastic program. You got Book because, It shirts? Yeah. Because reading is a way to travel to your own final frontiers. Oh, wow. The more you know. So I think we're accurately painting the emotive side of this. You know what I mean? And it is a truly noble endeavor. But there is another side to the story of NASA. It's a version that you won't hear as often at Space Camp or at the gift shop at the Kennedy Space Center. Other agencies working for Uncle Sam saw NASA as more than just this uh, meaningful, apolitical push to the stars. They saw an opportunity, and they took it multiple times. What do we mean? We'll tell you after a word from our sponsor. Join Metro. They help you stay ahead of the game with nada, yada, yada. That means no contracts, no credit checks, and no surprises. Outsmarting yada, yada means, uh, you know. Taxis and stuff. Shady subscriptions. Did you guys ever order something online and you thought it was just like a one-time purchase, but then you found yourself subscribed? Yeah, I had to call and stop payment on something because I had subscribed to it through Apple Pay. And even though I had like put a new card on there, it still was tied to whatever card was associated with my Apple Pay. So I had to like go through this whole process of getting it pulled. It was really, really annoying. Well, that'll never happen with Metro by T-Mobile because you don't take yada yada in life and you're not going to take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada helping you stay ahead without compromising on things you love the most. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. 
Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. The six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall, and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Talk Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy. Well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. You get a shot, but the individuals behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human. This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great Thank conversation. You. Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zigazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Zigazoo is moderated by real live people who review content before it's posted on the feed. I especially love the dance challenges. So much fun. Oh, and there's no comments or messaging, so you don't get any of that negativity that's all over other social networks. All my friends love it. I love that it's Kids Safe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Uh, that's great, but I wouldn't be doing Zigazoo if it wasn't fun. She would not be doing it if I didn't think her data was safe. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids! (laughs) Download the Zigazoo app today. Here's where it gets crazy. NASA was a front for the CIA and the DOD. Yeah, well, sort of. And the NRO? You mean the NWA? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah, they were deep with the alphabet in a way that remains um, largely unknown today, the Central Intelligence Agency and the Department of Defense looked at what was going on, you know, from from before the formation of NASA in 1958, like we mentioned earlier, they already knew a good deal when they saw it. And they worked closely with the space agency by hook or by crook to get what they wanted. And they sometimes they even conspired to halt the progress of NASA. And then sometimes it gets complicated really quickly because what you need to understand is when you're watching those uh, swelling, inspiring documentaries about, uh, you know, a small step for a man kind of stuff and, and you're vibing with that patriotism, there is a figurative smoky back room behind those stories. And in that figurative smoky back room, a lot of stuff almost went terribly wrong and the only it's 2021 right this stuff happened decades ago and more recently than you think full disclosure but even now a lot of the revelations that we understand about this conspiracy or level this multipolar conspiracy between nasa and intelligence agencies in the military it comes from one guy who's done some amazing work his name is james e david as a curator in NASA's Division of Space History. He got a hold of these documents through various means, uh, formerly classified documents, uh, and he didn't get all of them. There's still a lot of stuff that's under wraps. But he found these documents that talked about 
what I think we could call an infiltration of NASA in the course of researching a book that we'd love to recommend, Spies and Shuttles, NASA's Secret Relationships with the DOD and the CIA. It was published in 2015, so it's not, it's not too old. It's pretty up to date. And what he discovered is extraordinary and like textbook conspiratorial. Yeah, it's really great. Uh, if you want to look into it right now, head on over to the National Security Archive and you can read a lot about this book and you can hear or, you know, get some of the stories we're going to be mentioning today. And I don't think you can get the book here necessarily, but it is worth your time if you've got a few moments. You can read a book in a few moments. It's very impressive. Well, reading about it. Uh, and then you can go down the rabbit hole at your own leisure uh, when you have time. Well, you just have to learn to read by uh, touch, right? Or read by oh, osmosis yeah. and just sleep on the book. Oh snap! <laughs> okay, don't don't do that. We're not we're not responsible for the results of your exam if that's the method you use to study. Uh, but oh, totally unrelated, you guys. I've been thinking a lot about the earlier thing we did regarding incepting people's dreams for ad purposes. Uh, yeah, I loved it. I'd love to see if we could use that as a way to teach people through their dreams. Like to, like, you know, uh, there, there have been some things where like, Hey, play this tape, learn a new language while you sleep. And that stuff doesn't really work. Uh, but I wonder now if there's a way, okay. Filing it away. For Can future, you pipe? Future Do you have a way to pipe in audio to my house? Cause like I'm down, let's try it. Yeah, let's try it. And <laughs> we'll, we'll see. I, I, I got in a weird rabbit hole, uh, unrelated, but I'm sure it'll come up in a later episode. Anyhow, yeah, Congress very publicly, quite explicitly, established NASA as a purely civilian space agency. They did this partially for their domestic audience and for the voters, right, and to inspire people, but they also took pains to portray it as a civilian agency, which it is because they were more concerned with a foreign audience. They were more concerned with um, the, the idea that the USSR might hear this, uh, just hear the construction of NASA or the creation of it, and then respond aggressively, right? Triggering a militarization of space. So no one really wanted that smoke at this point. A series of circumstances occurring, you know, that were already put in place before 58 and that occurred every year since that we know of this series of circumstances, needs, cases, all kinds of weird spy stuff. They, they essentially forced NASA to increasingly coordinate with the alphabet boys on things that we would call black programs today, meaning off the book stuff, not much oversight, a lot of money, you know, the, the wallet's open. Let's just get her done. And this occurred yeah. with the military and the intelligence communities. It most certainly did. And the things that we're kind of alluding to here, and we briefly mentioned it earlier, the organization, the National Reconnaissance Office and the NRO, a lot of this relationship had to do with a desire of that outfit to have better spy technology, better imaging technology than they had available and one one way one one avenue that they saw as a possibility was to get stuff up into orbit through these space missions yeah man uh that's the, that's the thing and you mentioned the magic word if this were a p 
Pee Wee Herman conspiracy show, everybody would be going nuts. The there it is. <laughs> the NRO. The thing is, the NRO at this time was so secret that it didn't exist. It was one of those things where if you worked for them at the time uh, and, you know, you're at a barbecue with your neighbors or something and they say, oh, hey, blah, blah, blah. What do you, you know, Alexis, Paul, what do, what do you do? Then you would just try to come up with the most boring explanation ever. It would be like, I am an accountant or shoes. <laughs> And if someone calls you on being some kind of intelligence operative, you just say CIA. It's just CIA. Yep, I'm, I'm CIA. <laughs> Which feels like a big enough secret to throw them off the trail, right? So, yeah. so the it's it's weird because now you you know imagine someone with a higher level leadership position at this fledgling space agency, and then you get this massive info dump. They're like, hey, a group of people that are kind of our coworkers but don't exist, need you to do this thing. And we can't, you know, the, the code word is uh, limoncello. You're like, limoncello, what does that mean? We can't tell you. We cannot tell you anything else about limoncello. Uh, just every so often, some people are going to show up and they're going to want some stuff from you and you're going to do it and you're never going to talk about it. Anyway. And they're going to say, <laughs> limoncello. <Yeah. laughs> Anyway, let me show you where the coffee is. Like that's that's how it goes. So this this cooperation is a very real thing and it's multi-generational, it takes place over decades. It becomes very hand in glove at points. But still, these are different organizations. They have different aims, they have different goals. And so there are a lot of disputes that pop up from this these strange partnerships. Things like you know, the kind of the kind of arguments you might have with any group, right? Like who who pays the tab? How do we how do we split the check here? Mm -hmm. um, who gets what information? Because these are information obsessed organizations. How do we handle civilian data? Like you're a scientist, right? Like uh like Noel, you're a scientist at NASA and you're pretty good at your job, right? You're one of the world's foremost experts on something very specific. Impassable. Uh, I get it done, you know? Yeah, yeah. And you know the other six people across the world who are almost as good as you are, and you work together with each other. You share each other's information. Well, we're very, we've got a very particular set of skills. So there aren't very many of us. So it's like I, my counterpart, you know, in the other part of the world, it's like we're the only ones that really talk to each other because no one else would possibly understand, you know, the complexities of our, uh, of our particular discipline. Exactly. And so your Tuesday gets ruined when some guy named Matt from an agency that doesn't exist comes and says, you cannot talk to your six friends. And then, you know, you make the argument where you're like, look, we believe in the democracy of information and transparency. And I want my other six colleagues to know because this will help us in our mission to explore space and we might save some lives. And then and also guy, I'm lonely. You know, and also I'm lonely. And this guy, this guy, Matt, is like, oh, cute Limoncello, story. motherfucker. Limoncello, <laughs> shut it down. And uh, this, like, this is a real fight that occurred multiple times because the the spook agencies wanted data to be encrypted because they wanted to do everything they could to avoid giving the other guys an edge. And then there were things where the military became self-interested. The tra tragedy of the Challenger disaster 
was a was a concern, right, to the military, but maybe not for the reasons you think. Some factions were more upset that the launches of military satellites were delayed. And these launches of military satellites were not really publicized. You know, it was also uh, a PR nightmare, you know, and like the optics of it really, you know, put egg on our face in terms of like that whole global supremacy vibe that uh, that we you know need so desperately, or at least certain sets do in the government. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and this uh, leads to this leads to multiple problems. Uh, part of it is how absurd and surreal the secrecy got, and the need for secrecy was valid, but they did go hard in the paint on it. Over the decades, the the various restrictions, the compartmentalization of information project to project kept the vast majority of, of this story out of the public eye because, again, NASA is meant to be above the earthly problems of geopolitics and military conflict. But if you look at it objectively with you know, James E. David's research, what you see is that NASA often struggled and failed to follow that mandate. And it's not, we're not here to demonize NASA at all because they were, their hand was forced multiple times by very powerful entities. But like, what are we talking about? We know, we know some of the reasons, at least now, that they had to get in bed with the spies. I guess there are reasons why they they had to get in bed. NASA had to to work with the spies. But there are also big challenges that the spies directly gave to them that really hampered their stuff. And, and from what I'm reading, Ben, correct me if I'm wrong here. A lot of it had to do with where, like physically, where they could have missions, have training, have like actually send spacecraft up into orbit. Uh, that was a big fight. I know for sure, because like some things had to be way more hush hush than others. Then also there was a ton of pressure put onto NASA by these intelligence agencies to modify things like the shuttle, the physical attributes of the shuttle. It had to be a certain, uh, the, the, it had to be able to send a certain uh, size of payload up. And so the NASA had to continue modifying their gear and their hardware essentially in order to meet the needs of the spy agencies. Yeah. A terrible, terrible analogy here might be helpful. Let's say just pick a fast food place. Who do we want to dunk on today? Burger King. Okay. Burger King. So, oh. <laughs> so we work at, we're, uh, we're working at Dunkin' Burger. Donuts alone. <laughs> uh, I was rewatching Ant-Man and still my favorite line from that is when is just how in that universe it's accepted that Baskin Robbins always finds out. You guys remember that part? It was good. I don't, but I feel like Dunkin' Donuts really led the charge in pre-creaming and sugaring your coffee for you at the exact right levels. And then other brands kind of stole that from them. Yeah. Yeah. It's a tough business. Uh, So we're all working at, we're all working at Burger King. We've been there about a week. We're settling in. And then we realize that other employees of Burger King are, are have different names, right? A new manager comes in, like a regional manager, and we're saying, look, here's how we make the Whoppers. And they say, that's good, that's okay, but I need this Whopper to also be able to hide a gun. <laughs> okay, and, we're, and then we're like, well, crap, we have to, we have to like, 
Rethink some little. things. We need new equipment. What size gun are we talking about? I was like, what? And they're like, uh, you know, um, limoncello, we can't tell you. Just get it done by Thursday. And then we have that moment where we think, okay, we have to redesign stuff, not for a reason we want, but for a, a reason we're mandated to. The weirdest thing, Ben, would be if just over the intercom system where all the employees can hear it, you know, back in the area where we work, somebody just says, <clears throat> project uh, tardigrade. And then nobody does anything except for one person on the corner just walks into the uh, the walk-in freezer and just leaves for a little bit and then comes back out. We can't tell what they did. We have no idea, but they did something. <laughs> and that really happened. Not at Burger King, but in space. That's true. <laughs> and it happened multiple times. So the second thing they need is these entities embark on a conspiracy of codependence. Uh, if we want to wax poetic about it, because they rely on one another for data and expertise related to foreign aerospace programs. So if we go back to our example, um, where Noel is one of the, where Noel's like the preeminent expert in this very rarefied, specific field, then what happens is the U.S. intelligence agencies have to call him in and his colleagues in to tell them like what could actually be going on in this weird report they don't understand or like they're saying, hey, we can't tell you where these pictures come from, but we want to show them to you, Dr. Brown. What do you think these could be? Well, first of all, it's called Operation Tartar Sauce, not Tardigrave. Oh, oh sorry. Burger King. Um, yeah, I've been told I can't speak to this. Sorry, I've been silenced. <laughs> no, I've been silenced. <laughs> so this, uh, that makes sense. Uh, we don't want to. We don't want to burn burn your identity here. So this is real. Like they need each other, and NASA also needs Uncle Sam because they have to. They have to try to keep up to date with what their counterparts, especially in the USSR, are up to. But there's so much secrecy. There's a, a stone wall involved, and this means that the only way they can get this information. Even if they're like friends, maybe they've met at a conference or something. The only way they can really get this information is by going to the CIA, by going to the NRO, even though it doesn't exist at this point. And that's, that's because these intelligence agencies have been monitoring Soviet research since way before NASA existed, back when it was a twinkle in a politician's eye. By 1966, NASA becomes a regular at, the, at some very high-level Cold War intelligence briefings, uh, the, especially from the CIA's Foreign Missile and Space Analysis Center. Makes sense, uh, but you can tell that some people in NASA are beginning to feel a little uncomfortable with how cozy this relationship is becoming. And we don't, we have to speak in present tense because we don't know when this stopped. We know it continued through the 80s, but even James E. David was not able to find records of when when this relationship concluded. So it could be happening now. And then of course the alphabet boys realized that the eggheads at NASA would be very, very helpful. They wanted more Dr. Browns. Uh, so they agreed to establish an advisory panel, eight CIA NASA advisory panels that would meet once or twice a year. And they would, they would go over the future of the military and space and try to suss out, what what their rivals, chiefly the Soviet Union, were doing. And then sadly, military intelligence agencies 
also like explicitly fought to cripple some NASA programs. Yeah, isn't that weird? Yeah, and I think you're spot on, Matt, when you're talking about the kind of hilarity that ensues when in the show Space Force you see that kind of meddling. There's nothing scientists hate more than having someone who's a non-scientist come in and tell them why they can't do good uh, hard science. You know, especially mm. when it's some sort of political reasoning behind it, because that's just not the realm of the the scientist. You know, they're like, this is just leave me out of it. Let me do my work, you know, in peace. Uh, and then usually there's fun kind of back and forth between them, especially when you have like a strong willed scientist that uh, won't put up with no bureaucrat. Um, but, yeah, you know, absolutely. It's uh, it's frustrating. I can only imagine, uh, especially when you're doing work that you see a true benefit for humanity. And then some suit comes in and tries to shut it down for reasons that are classified. A lot of times, it's not like they're even going to give you a reason. Sometimes I'll just come in and say, you're done. Shut it down. It's yeah, it's heartbreaking because, you know, I was not able to find confirmation of this. But I wonder if this ever happened just because it's possible it could have. Can you imagine busting your hump for years to invent something like a, a new brilliant kind of camera and imaging device? And then, you know, you have a meeting, you have a little show and tell with your pals, right? Your colleagues and coworkers. And then someone comes up to you quietly and says, we already have one of those. We, we just couldn't tell you. And you're like, right. I've been working on this for two, three years. <laughs> they're like, yeah, we did. No one knew. We didn't. We didn't think you would. You're better than we thought you would be. That's so you can take that, you know. Yeah. And it's a, there's actually three of them already orbiting. Yeah. Yours uh, is so. OK. Yours <laughs> is like the third best. <laughs> like, that's terrible. That would be awful. But but it is true because you're right, man, because the. I don't know what you would call it. Just the the scientific breakthroughs that were happening with NASA staff and and the crews there really did kind of pose a, a threat in a in a weird way to the supremacy of these. In I, I, it's weird to say it that way, but like the tech supremacy that was required by the intelligence agencies because they have to be the best at you know, sensing anything, whether it's imaging or radar or whatever, if it's in orbit, they have to be the ones that have superior technology. And ideally you want to maintain information asymmetry. So you don't want your enemies to know just how good you are, right? You just want them scared. Well, yeah. And if you're NASA and, and you're working directly with, you know, whether it's Soviet or whether it's post-Soviet and, and just Russian space agency or uh, any other space agency, you could very well be sharing some of that more open source information and data and how it's collected and the processes and those intelligence agencies can't have that. Yeah. That's the thing. If you wanted to be a little hip hop about it, the geopolitical streets are watching and the intelligence oh. communities are very aware of this fact. So they, in the the next step in this kind of, at times devil's bargain is they say, look, we're, we're assisting you with stuff. You're assisting us, right? We're sharing information. We're all, we're all working together for a common cause, but your research needs to stop. And, and we, you know, we can't tell you why hashtag limoncello or whatever, but they, they actively monitored and restricted certain programs because they wanted to eliminate threats to other classified programs they couldn't tell the scientists at NASA about, or they didn't want that information 
to make it to their adversaries. So, so one of the like one example would be remote sensing programs, not the cool one, not like astral travel, etc. But instead, they didn't want the Soviet Union to know the quality and the resolution of images that NASA was able to obtain. They didn't, they didn't want it out there. And they were also worried that using a lot of classified technology or the equivalent of that, even if, you know, like if someone at NASA did invent a camera that was just as good as a classified one that no one knew existed, they were worried that would reveal just what the U.S. was capable of surveillance-wise, and that would help other nations improve their own R&D, and that would, or it, or they'd figure out a way to break that innovation. So these are understandable, but what it meant is that for a time, in a very basic level, your coworker is essentially trying to stop you from working. Like their job becomes to stop you at times. And that's that's a really weird position to be in. Well, yeah, too. it's also, you know, because of all the reasons we mentioned, uh, a lot of these folks probably grew up with aspirations of working for NASA and all of these kind of like huge idealistic notions of what it meant to do this kind of work. And then you get there, you know, you make it all the way to the FBI or the NAS, <laughs> you know, uh, and then all of a sudden it's not what you thought it was, you know? I mean, that happens to, that's a very good point, man. That happens to a lot of people, you know, you, you get in and you get disillusioned or you start to look at things up close and yeah, it, it, it's, it's a difficult thing. And a lot of people who are tuned in today know exactly what we're talking about without going into further detail. You finally make it to the iHeartRadio, <laughs> and then you got to take an ad break. Wait, is that uh, what's happening right now? Yeah, 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 let's do it. Let's do it. Join Metro. They help you stay ahead of the game with nada, yada, yada. That means no contracts, no credit checks, and no surprises. Outsmarting yada, yada means, uh, you know, taxis and stuff. Shady subscriptions. Did you guys ever order something online and you thought it was just like a one-time purchase, but then... You found yourself subscribed? Yeah, I had to call and stop payment on something because I had subscribed to it through Apple Pay. And even though I had like put a new card on there, it still was uh, tied to whatever card was associated with my Apple Pay. So I had to like go through this whole process of getting it pulled. It was really, really annoying. Well, that'll never happen with Metro by T-Mobile because you don't take yada yada in life. And you're not going to take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada, helping you stay ahead without compromising on things you love the most. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds, it was shocking. I have to know what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. 
Welcome, Allison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very all slow. The, all the options. In spite of me. Like, what did we do? It's so slow. <laughs> Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on Deadline. Thank you again, Allison. Thank you. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well. I think you're so talented. Social media interactions are only positive when you use Zigazoo. Zigazoo is the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. Your kids can upload their content and see what their friends are up to. With Zigazoo, they can create videos, enter to win prizes, and try out the latest dances and trends. There's no commenting, no text messaging, and everything is 100% human moderated. Plus, all community members are real, verified kids just like yours. There are no bots, trolls, or AI. Because Zigazoo is about one thing and one thing only, and that is fun. Try out Zigazoo this spring break and let your kids share your vacation vlogs and best edits with their friends safely. Download the Zigazoo app today. That's Z-I-G-A-Z-O-O. And we're back. We'll get to a little more juicy stuff. Some stuff that uh, we've all been collectively waiting for. This is true. NASA helped create alibis and cover stories for military intelligence. And they did it pretty often because they were good at it. Again, these are these are world-class experts on stuff that goes on in space and in the sky. So if you want something to sound realistic, if you want to fool the experts at another country, then you need your experts to help you craft a realistic lie. But those are my friends. That's my counterpart. You're saying I got to lie to my best friend? Limoncello, bro. Yeah. It's part of the game. It's terrible. But yeah, yeah, that's exactly what we're talking about. Um, One example would be a guy named Hugh Dryden. He was the director of the National Advisory Committee on Aeronautics from 1947 to 1958. You know, again, the foundation of NASA. And he helped, uh, over the course of his career, he helped develop and then maintain cover stories for things like the spy plane, the U-2, or or the A-12, another kind of spy plane. And they were so good at this. They were like really good at spinning BS that was believable. And so that's, you know, for some people that could be seen as a patriotic mission. You know, I'm helping my country for other people to, you know, your your earlier point, uh, it could be like, uh, it could be a, it could be very disillusioning, you know, like, I I love this stuff. I want to figure out how it really works. Why, why am I being forced to help you lie about it? Well, it it just feels counter to your whole mission as a scientist, as someone who's just trying to make discoveries. And then all of a sudden you've got to deal with all this politics. And, you know, as we know, there are drawbacks to being part of any large organization and you've got to kind of learn how to play the game, even just in like regular science, getting grants and stuff often requires a little bit of subterfuge or a little bit of kind of like political maneuvering that can feel icky, but it's a means to an end and the ends justify the means. And if it means getting your stuff done and being able to have that access and that money, then maybe you'll do some stuff that feels a little uh, less than scrupulous. Mm-hmm. It's a problem in academia as well, because uh, for the reasons you just mentioned, uh, the grants process, right? And like uh, there's a crisis sometimes in science 
where people feel like their chances of getting funding depend on them doing something new rather than verifying the the work of someone else. So it's it's a weird system of incentives, you know. But cover stories aside, a good a good yarn aside, uh, there were other things that NASA was assisting with, and one of them one of them was secret technology. NASA was mm-hmm. looking for lunar landing sites. They had to figure out a good parking spot on the moon, and they realized they needed much better technology. They needed better cameras. They needed the kind of cameras that didn't officially exist. And that's when they reached out to some other folks who didn't officially exist, the National Reconnaissance Office. Uh, in, in short, spies helped people get to the moon. Spies did it. Uh, and and uh, that's something <laughs> that's missing from a lot of documentaries. It really is. Imagine looking at the old imagery that was available or something like that. <laughs> I don't understand, Admiral. The entire moon appears to look like a potato. I don't understand. Is this oh, uh, films on a potato? Or yeah, apologies, <laughs> General. That is uh, that is in fact a photograph of a potato. I um... well, God, damn it, Jim, get the NRO in here. <laughs> yes. So. <laughs> I hope Watch your happened. mouth, Jerry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Sorry. <clears throat> <clears throat> All right. So potato boys aside, which is the name of that government agency. They're full of hijinks. They just want more potatoes <laughs> in government. Uh, that, was my, that, was my favorite, that was my favorite little sub gang in the Mad Max movies, the potato boys. Potato kind boys. of underappreciated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The potato boys in general are underappreciated. We should... Uh, we should do an episode on the Potato Boys. Uh, listeners, you know, you surely know what we're talking about. So write in and tell us what you think of the Potato Boys. So they also, as we said, came to a head. There's an excellent article in Air and Space Mag that talks about some of the tension between civilian selected astronauts and then what are MSE, right? Uh, these are these are people who are picked by the Air Force or another military outfit to participate in space exploration and at times yes, manned spaceflight engineers yes manned spaceflight engineers and at times they come into like literal shouting matches with people and civilians at nasa get surprised by uh the the level of secrecy which seems you know it starts off understandable and then it feels like increasingly you know, I say catch 22 earlier but increasingly almost slaughterhouse five increasingly like dr strange love and then they start seeing that that Burger King moment that we we're talking about earlier. Their designs, if they had their druthers, their designs would just be getting people and stuff safely into space and then safely back with an acceptable margin of error. But the espionage organizations, the spy organizations, dictated the design of things. And this this culminated in a really weird situation with the space shuttle. That's right. Between 1982 and 1992, NASA launched 11 shuttle flights with uh, these classified payloads. And this was part of an agreement that dated back to 1969 when the NRO, um, which was at the time a completely secret agency, they wouldn't even publish the name anywhere. Um, The NRO requested uh, changes to the designs of NASA's new space transpose system. Uh, Specifically, 
the NRO built and operated these large, expensive reconnaissance satellites, and they wanted a bigger cargo hold for the ship that so that NASA was going to be able to kind of help maintain those satellites and trundle stuff for them back and forth. And as we know, a big part of the expense of sending things out into space is the weight. That's a huge um, consideration. It can exponentially increase the cost of spaceflight just by how much stuff is on the ship, which is why it's really important to pick things selectively and have things be as lightweight as possible. But this is like essentially the equivalent of Big Brother coming in and saying, forget all your science nerd stuff, you know, bring our crap. And that, that takes precedent, and we're not going to even tell you why. Just do it and shut up, nerd. Just like, take your mind back to the space shuttle. I'm sure most of us can just imagine a picture a picture of like Discovery or one of these Columbia maybe one of these uh, space shuttles in your mind as, it's in as slow a child. motion. It's in slow but, motion. Picture but it. just the shuttle. Yeah, slow motion just the shuttle like it's a pretty awesome looking thing. Now think back to the rockets that were required to get that thing up into space and how freaking huge that first the the first stage rocket was that was strapped on to that fairly small shuttle compared to the rest of the stuff that's launching up with it. Um, not to mention the other uh, stage two rockets. It's just, it's so weird to imagine that the national reconnaissance office dictated that need for that much fuel to get it up into space. Oh yeah. They also, you know, they also wanted polar shuttle missions. So that they mm -hmm. could they could see the Earth's entire surface instead of equatorial missions, which are more limited. This even resulted in the Air Force building their own launch pad in Vandenberg, California. Uh, but after the Challenger disaster, uh, it got mothballed permanently. Up to now, and then we see the rise of these of these secret payloads. It's it's so odd. These are spies in space. Uh, there, there are real stories of astronauts who witness one of their colleagues on, you know, on the shuttle or on ISS, just kind of, you know, dipping out to the to the walk-in cooler, <laughs> like the the way we described it earlier, or just, you know, it's not as casual as you know leaving to go to the restroom while you're eating at a restaurant with friends or something. Space is brutal. These guys are getting out, they're coming back in, and no one's supposed to talk about it. What happened? Yeah. It wasn't a smoke break. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which would be amazing if you could somehow make that work. There's no smoking in space, guys. <laughs> um, it's the rules. But, it's the only yes. reason Tom Waits is not an astronaut. 100%. <laughs> I want to give you a specific version of that, Ben, from that article you mentioned on... Uh, Air and Space Magazine is called The Secret Space Shuttles, written by Michael Cassut, Cassut, uh, as August 2009. You can read about this crew member that was on STS-39. That's the mission name, the the shuttle mission 39. Um, this guy, Guy Bluford, was one of the, I think, five people who were, who were there on a um, manned space flight mission on a shuttle. This guy, this guy named Guy, just wandered over to the aft flight deck by himself while the rest of us pretended not to notice. And he apparently launched a small classified satellite. Just like he just kind of was like, it just came right back. 
it's got to be the almost the equivalent of being in an elevator, being in a crowded elevator, right? But not so crowded that you lose count of how many people are in there and hearing someone fart and then just wondering if anyone's going to mention it, right? Yeah, yeah. But you don't uh, want it to be you. But no. you're certainly, yeah, you're, you're, you're thinking about it. You're looking around and you're like, am I the only one that noticed it? And you know everybody noticed it. But nobody wants to be the first one to mention it. Uh, it when, when we say small satellite, I mean, there, there's no small satellites, right? I mean, these are not like drone size. These are quite large. Like, how, 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 how does a single person even launch such a thing? Dude, it's classified. I, I, I don't know. That is a story from a, another member of the crew of STS-39. And I, I don't have all the information, but in that, in that article, you can probably read more. I'm going to send you some, this is tough too, because that technology was classified and satellite technology still gets really murky, right? Because it has such powerful potential. I'm going to send you guys something here in our group chat. Uh, the, this is as of 2019, the world's smallest satellite and this was made by the Indian Space Research Organization, or ISRO. And if you look Whoa. at it, it's handheld. It's small enough to be held comfortably in the palm of one hand. Are you sure that's not the puzzle box from Hellraiser, dude? That's a little freaky looking. It is Wow, that bizarre. is crazy. But it almost looks like a mini server or something. That's, that's funky, dude. Calumsat V2. Weighing in at only 1.26 kilograms. Uh, and the article here, you, you sent us, this BBC article points out that um, it's just a little heavier than a bag of sugar. Wow. Well, well, hey, STS was, STS-39 was was 1991. So right. just put your head there. Like, imagine what was the smallest satellite then? Uh, Maybe drone size isn't that far off at all, actually. Uh, no, I, mean, I don't think so. We do know that miniaturization, due to the point, brought up earlier about about weight miniaturization is a huge huge concern or a huge uh research goal and that tiny satellite that is planned to be launched by india that was made by a student so it came about in um it, it came about from a place of transparency it may sound cynical but i, I feel like it's an open secret at this point that uh, certain areas of the government have technology that is just way beyond what the public is seeing right now. And this was probably the case then because we have to realize, you know, we've been joking about how secret the NRO, National Reconnaissance Office, was. It was not officially acknowledged until 1992. A lot of people listening to today's episode were alive when the NRO did not technically exist but still could get all your stuff if it wanted to. You know what I mean? And you would get shut down for trying to raise too much of a ruckus about it. So James E. David points out that 1992, when the NRO gets publicly exposed or acknowledged, the amount of secret shuttle payloads, like Matt just described, seemed to be winding down. But here's the deal. We don't know if they stopped. And here's, a, here's another part. We don't know what kind of coordination uh, NASA continues to have with spy agencies. We probably never will know, or we won't know for decades and decades. Uh, we don't know if it stopped. We don't know what degree it continued to. We do know that 
the spy agencies were interested in moving away from the shuttle program because it involved humans going into space. And it was, there was way more press involved. There were human interest stories for each individual crew member that were being put out on national news. They were, they were way more into, let's just strap some things into a rocket, shoot that rocket up, let a bay window open and a robot arm. We're good to go. We can handle all that from down here. Um, it's so <laughs> who knows what they were doing, but Ben, this whole story, this whole episode, all of this research has put X 37 B yes. in a brand new light for me. Yes. Because imagine if you imagine the shuttle, it was required to be that large for a lot of reasons. One of the main reasons, you know, was the payload, the large payloads, but also you needed to have five human beings be able to move around inside of it. And, you know, perform maintenance, do all kinds of things like that. If you don't need any humans, you can really make that thing smaller and you could still have space for a payload if your satellites and other things are now smaller due to technology advances. And you can stay, you can stay in space longer. Yes. Like why? Dude. From the perspective of uh, these agencies, you know, the question is, why, why am I taking five liabilities to space, five very expensive liabilities, right? On every level. And that's not, of course, I hope it goes without saying, but just to be clear, I don't think that's the perspective any of us are taking. We want humans in space. Uh, but, but yeah, now I'm glad you mentioned X-37B because some news broke about it just about a month ago. The government of Russia stated that they believe X-37B is weaponized. They believe it's a bomber. Uh, this has what? been rejected. Yeah, this has been rejected by, you know, Western experts, uh, and you know, dismissed as a conspiracy theory. But X thirty seven B is very much real, and it is uh, a harbinger of things to come. We just hope that it doesn't edge out the progress toward manned spaceflight, or you know, spaceflights people on them. And that's where we are. You know, at this point, we have to ask fellow conspiracy realists, what do you think? In several cases, I think you can you can solidly say that this cooperation was necessary. They, these organizations needed to work together to accomplish their respective goals. But at times, these arrangements did stymie NASA's prog progress. At times, the quote-unquote co-workers were preventing NASA from doing their job. And perhaps the most important question where is that relationship today? How does it continue today? Is it still hand in glove? Is it case by case? Will we ever learn about it? Love to hear your take on it. Uh, if you are one of the four surviving people of the 12 who had walked on the moon, we'd love to hear your story as well. Just got to shoot your shot in case they're out there, you know? Oh. Yeah, shoot your shot on the internet in multiple places. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. You can find us on YouTube, all under the handle Conspiracy Stuff. We're also Conspiracy Stuff Show on Instagram. And you can find us on uh, the telephone via, you know, those uh, those digits. The digits are one eight three three stdwytk When you call in, give yourself a really cool nickname that we can use on air. You've got three minutes. You use them however you like. And if you've got more to say, then hey, you can reach us at an email address where you can put links and all kinds of other things in there. We can't wait to hear from you. Our email address is conspiracy at iheartradio.com. 
Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids like yours, and all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Smart journalism. Fascinating topics. Words that describe CNN's podcast, The Assignment with Audie Cornish. We are revisiting the public school culture wars. What have we learned from the kids who fought against book bans? We really started the club to get students reading these books. Students have an opinion in this fight, too. How has the war over books sparked a backlash to the so-called parents' rights movement? It's not okay what they're doing, and they're being watched. Listen to The Assignment with Audie Cornish, streaming now on the iHeartRadio app.